Well, we're closing up this series, Destinations. Destinations, a great series that uh, Pastor Herbert's been going through with you. And, the, and I've got a message for you this morning entitled, When You Can't Find Your Way Back. When You Can't Find Your Way Back. This morning, what I want to talk to you about is those moments in life where you come to a place where it just feels like you don't know what to do. You've come to a place in life where it's just, I don't, I don't know where to go from here. It's like the, the, the life that I had planned out, the life that I had mapped out, the picture that I had in my mind of what life could be and should be and, and would be and all of those things just hasn't, it hasn't panned out, hasn't worked out. You come to one of those moments where you realize life is never going to be what you thought it would be. And that's the moment that I want to talk to us about. The, the moment where you just feel like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go because the picture that I had for my life is not going to ever come true. And we've been talking about paths. Pastor Herbert's been talking to you about the path principle and that the path that you're on determines your, your destination. And, and if I could name this path of life, this moment that we're in, if we could give it a name, I think that I would call it the Boulevard of Broken Dreams. And if you've got your note taker, you've got your outline, your bullets in there, maybe under the title there where it says you can't find your way back, you, maybe you just want to put that in there, the boulevard of broken dreams. I want to talk to you about those moments in life where the dreams, goals, wishes that we had for our life, it's not that they won't come true, it's not that we just need more time, it's that we come to a place in life where we realize that those things can not come true. I want to talk to you about that emotional moment this morning where you wake up and you realize that life's not going to turn out the way that I thought it would. And, and you know, we've all had the hopes, we've all had the dreams, you know, you were, we were in high school, wanted to be something in college, but you're 45 right now, and you know, who cares? It's just one of those silly dreams that, you know, it's just kind of a little ridiculous to you now. Maybe you're, you're even a little embarrassed to talk about it because you grew up wanting to be an astronaut, and you know, it never worked out. And maybe some of you, you know, you wanted to grow up, you wanted to be this, that, or the other, and it didn't work, but it was no big deal. But then there are those things in, in, in life where they were our hope, they were our dream, and We've come to that place in life where we realize it's not going to happen. And maybe it was because of choices that you made. Maybe it was because of choices that somebody else made. Maybe it was a combination of those things. But whatever it was, you've come to a place where you realize, you wake up one morning and it's just like, it's not going to happen. And you're here this morning. And you come to the realization, you know, I'm not going to finish marriage with the partner that I started with. And the dream that, that, that you had for your life, where it's, I'm going to marry this one person, we're going to spend the rest of our lives together, and it's not going to happen. Things have gone down a lot of different paths that you never wanted and never intended. And you come to that realization, it's not going to happen. That's a difficult moment. That's a painful moment because the picture that you had for life is not ever going to happen. And again, it's not that it... It won't happen. It's, it's when you come to those moments where it, it can't happen. You're, maybe as a couple, you've come to a place where you've realized, you know, together, we're, we're never going to have the children that we wanted. Life's just not going to, what do you do? Life's not going to be what we thought that it would. You know, sometimes maybe it's not just dreams that we had. It's, it's things that were more like expectations in life. You know, everybody, you know, by this time in their life is married. Everybody else has two kids. Everybody else has the home and the two cars and the American dream. And, and I haven't got it. And you go to that place in life where you just, you don't know what to do. You're tired of it. Some of you ladies, you're sick and tired of being in everybody else's wedding. You just, you're done. Valentine's Day is like Black Friday for you or whatever, Black Saturday in this year. You know, you just, you can't take it anymore. It's just, you got this whole closet full of 
ugly dresses that stand as a memorial to the fact that your friends have no taste in clothing and that, that you've been in all of their weddings and never yours. All these bridesmaid dresses hanging that you don't want to be in their weddings. I feel your pain. Not because I have a whole closet full of dresses. I don't. But because, hey, you know what? I thought by this time in my life I'd be married. I thought by this time, wanted by this time in my life to have kids. It's not going to happen. Some of you are looking at me like, what are you, like a day over 17? Get out of here. You know, it's like, but hey, I'm 28. I thought I'd be married by now. I thought I'd have you. And it's just, some of you, you're there too. You know, and it's just like, man, I, I thought I'd be married by 25. Now it's 26, 27, 30, 31. It passed. And it's, it's, not, it's not that it won't happen. It's that it can't happen. And, and you're single and you're sick of it. I know. I know. Everybody's trying to set you up with everybody. I know your pain. I got a call not too long ago. Get this. I get a call. Somebody wants me to come speak at their event. And they say that to me, we want you to become, we want you to come speak because you're single. I didn't know that was a qualification. I didn't like, I didn't get that. You know what I'm saying? Like I missed the memo on that one. You know what I mean? We want you to come because you're single. Turns out there's people from like nine different countries coming to this thing. There's people from several different denominations. And overnight I become the international, interdenominational poster child for singleness. I know that sometimes in life things just, they don't work out like we thought they would. Those moments in life where it's just, it's not going to happen. That picture you had, maybe it's something with your children. Maybe you've just had that last argument, last fight recently with, with one of your kids and, and they've said they're not coming home and this time it looks like they mean it. Christmas has come and gone, it's passed and they weren't there and now the vacation that you're planning for your family doesn't look the same because they're not included and life's just not turning out the way that you thought it would and it's difficult because I, I, for, for a lot of us, you know, we look around the room, it's not just you know, uh, that, that things aren't happening for us. When we look around the room here, the, even this morning, or you look around uh, at the workplace or whatever, it's like everybody else's dreams are coming true. It's like everybody else seems to be getting what they're wanting. But what about me? And what about my life? And what's gone wrong here? And it's choices you've made. Other people have made choices. A combination of those things that bring us to a place where it's just, life's not working out. The dream's not going to happen. What do you do? With all of that emotion, it's, that's a difficult moment when we realize life can never be what we thought it would be. What do we do? Well, this morning I want to take you to 1 Samuel. And we're going to visit a moment in Scripture and then we'll move along to another place. But both of these moments are from the life of the character in Scripture we know as David. David is a popular figure in Scripture. A lot of us know bits and pieces of his story. Uh, a lot of people have never even been to church, know parts of, of David's life. But I want to take you into his life because his life for us, I believe, illustrates that there are really two responses to this moment. That when we stand in a place where we don't really know what to do, don't know where to go, life's not turned out what we thought it would be, it's like, what am I going to do with all of this? That there really are two basic ways to respond to this. And I want to give you one thought this morning as we go into discussing David's life and his responses when he came to places where he realized life was not going to be what he thought it would be. And that is to give us this thought. And it's not fun. It's not the most enjoyable thing I could tell you this morning, but it's the truth. And how many know sometimes we just need to hear the truth in love? And this morning I want to tell you this, that your response, my response, is our responsibility. Your response 
is your responsibility. My response is my responsibility. We get to these very difficult moments in life that are full of despair. Some of us, it borders on depression. It's a difficult emotional moment in life. And we like to make it everybody else's fault or everybody else's job or everybody else's responsibility for what we're going through and where we're at in life and what we're doing about where we're at in life. And while some of the reasons why you're where you are may not be choices that you made, It is still your responsibility when you respond. And I want to take you to this moment in David's life. And and I want to take you to this one here in 1 Samuel, because I think that if I took you uh, to the next moment uh, we're going to visit in 2 Samuel chapter 15, nobody would believe it. Because when we get to that moment, you know, David makes a decision that, you know, it can be for us like when we're in a difficult moment of life, things aren't turning out well, it's like, yeah, you know, okay, preacher, you know, you would read me some fairy tale Bible story, you know, this kind of a deal. But, but this morning, I, David, he's a real man who faced, you know, he faced real troubles just like me and just like you. He went through these situations. And, and I believe that God's Word addresses this for us very specifically this morning in the life of David. Because God knows that a lot of times in life, things don't work out like we thought they would. There's a lot of times, in fact, most of the time, I don't think life works out the way that we pictured that it would. That that picture we've had in our mind, this is what my life will be. And it can be so difficult when we come to that realization. It's It's not ever going to happen. I don't want to take you to this moment. I'll give you a little bit of a background here before we get into this particular moment here in 1 Samuel. And I'm not going to take the time to actually read through all of these verses for that reference you find there in your bulletin. I'm just going to kind of tell you the story. You can turn there and follow along. We'll read as we get to 2 Samuel 15. But I want to give you a little bit of the background. And so here we go on our little, you know, mini journey with David here this morning. David was a lowly shepherd in his family. He was the youngest of a large family of boys. And uh, he was kind of... uh, you know, he's just, he's just the kid. He's the runt of the family. I'm the youngest. Anybody else the youngest in here? You know, you get stuck with jobs that nobody else wants because you're the youngest. You didn't do anything, but you just get stuck with the jobs, you know? And so David's out tending the flock. He's the shepherd. The day comes where the prophet of God named Samuel comes to Jesse's home. That's David's father. And he says, God has brought me here to choose one of your sons to be the next king of Israel. And so he lines up all the sons, doesn't even call David, doesn't even go get him. Samuel goes through those. He says, this is not it. Do you have another kid? None of these are the one. And he says, well, there's David, I guess. You know, so somebody goes, gets David, brings him out. Samuel looks at David and God says, Samuel, I choose him. He will be the next king of Israel. Now, there's only one problem, I guess. Israel already has a king and his name is Saul. And so David, not real sure what to do with this, but here the prophet of God came. God gave him this dream. You will be the next king of Israel. And in that moment, a dream was born in his heart. A picture of what life will be like. I'll be the king. He doesn't know what to do with it. He's confused. This is weird. He has no idea how in the world this is ever going to happen. And he goes back to watching the flocks. He's tending the sheep. Well, it turns out, as you go a little farther down the road in David's life, he's a pretty good musician. Turns out he's a very talented musician and he lands a job working for the king. In fact, he's in the king's palace. He's playing music for the king, becomes the king's favorite musician. Well, okay. Well, went from nobody lowly shepherd boy out here. You know, this seemed like none of this was ever going to happen. Now, I'm working for the king. Okay, so 
maybe there is something to this. I mean, hey, at least I'm, I'm, I'm in the palace with the king. I've got a job here. I mean, I, I might be low man on the totem pole, but, but I'm here. And then David goes from lowly shepherd boy. He's working there. And then comes the moment that most of us know from David's life. Almost everyone has heard. When Israel goes to war with a group of people called the Philistines. And the Philistines have one mighty warrior who happens to be a giant. And his name is... Goliath and David stands up and fights Goliath one-on-one mano in mano when nobody else in the nation of Israel was willing to do it he stood up for God he said Goliath you can't defy the armies of Israel you can't defy God he stands up for the Lord he puts his life on the line puts his life in God's hands no concern for what will happen to him and he slays the giant Goliath David becomes overnight a national hero Everybody knows his name. They're writing poetry about David. They're writing songs about David. And the songs sound like, you know, Saul, he's, he's cool. But David, he's a whole lot cooler, you know. Uh, Saul, he's done some great things. You know, he's, he's a good guy. But David's a really good guy. David's our man. David's our hero. And, and overnight, everybody knows who he is. And he's thinking, man, maybe there is something to this dream. Lowly shepherd boy, intern, musician, national hero, captain of the army. Becomes best friends with Jonathan, who is the heir to the throne. Go a little further down the road in David's life, and he marries the king's daughter. He marries a girl named Michael. And now he's the king's son-in-law. And now things are really starting to come together. And David's really starting to believe. He's starting to think, you know, this could happen. I'm in the king's family. Maybe when Saul dies, Jonathan, my best friend, he won't want to be king and they'll make me king. Maybe there'll be an election. I don't know. You know he's just, and it's all coming together though. And this dream that looked like it was totally ridiculous and impossible as a lowly shepherd boy now is starting to take shape and he's really starting to buy in and believe this could happen. All these things have happened in his life. He's living for God, done all of this stuff. And then comes a moment where the mood begins to change in Israel. And all of a sudden, The favor that he'd had with the king drains away. Saul becomes jealous of David's success. He's sick and tired of hearing the songs that people are singing about David. And everybody likes David. and Everybody loves David. And Saul's like, what about me? Why doesn't somebody write a song about me? And he can't take it anymore. And the Bible says that he takes a spear one day and he hurls it across the room. And it narrowly misses David. And just, spear sticks into the wall. Barely misses David. David, you know, he's like... I think it's time to go, you know, check please, you know, he's like, time to roll, you know, and so David makes this, this daring escape, he, he barely makes it out alive, and now he's on the run, and he's confused, and what's going on, and what happened to me, and what about this, and Jonathan, his best friend, the king's son, heir to the throne, meets David in a field, and he says to David, David, I got bad news, the king wants you dead, he's going to leverage all of his resources against you. He's going to use all of his authority, everything at his disposal to make sure that he ends your life. And all in a moment, it's not that the dream won't come true or probably won't happen. David looks at the situation, thinks to himself, forget about being king. That's never going to happen. And if I don't do something drastic, David decides, I'm not going to live to see breakfast tomorrow. And David finds himself in a moment where the dream cannot come true for him. The way he sees it, it has all unraveled and fallen apart. And what does he do? And David makes a choice. David's response here in this moment is David decides, I'm going to do things my way. 
David decided, forget about God, forget about all these things I've learned in life, forget about the principles I was raised on, all this stuff. David decides, I've got to do it my way. And the mentality becomes in these moments. David has what is for all of us, I think, the knee-jerk reaction. When you face a moment and it's like, life is never going to be what I thought it would be. What do you do? The mentality for us becomes the, the initial immediate response. That knee-jerk reaction is to say, if I don't, it won't. Everybody say it with me this morning. If I don't, it won't. You come to a place in life where you feel like, if I don't take charge of this, if I don't take control, this whole thing is unraveled and nothing's going to happen. If I don't, it won't. You've come to a place in life where the marriage is not going to be what you expected it to be and it's, it's not going to happen and, and they've done this and that and you feel like, if I don't make them pay, if I don't get them back, you know, you get to that unfortunate place in life where it's like, hey man, you caused me pain, so I'm going to make sure the rest of your, make sure the rest of your life is full of pain and it's, if, if I don't get back at them, if I don't give them what they deserve, we get to that place where we feel like, then they're never going to get what they deserve. If I don't, it won't. If I don't make it happen, it won't happen. And David takes control of his life, which brings us to this moment now here in 1 Samuel chapter number 21. And it's an interesting story. It's a difficult moment in the life of David because David here in this story becomes something that he said that he would never be. David becomes basically a liar, a cheat, and a thief. Gone is the picture of David, national hero, champion of the faith, giant killer. Now David is a lowly liar, thief, and cheat. He becomes all of these things that he probably thought that he would never be, certainly become a lot of things that he said that he would never be. And he stands here in this moment and he runs, he escapes to a city called Nob, which is where the priests live. And he has a conversation here in First Samuel chapter number 21. And again, we're not going to read the scripture, but I'll tell you the exchange. He comes running into the city. Ahimelech, the priest, comes out to see him, comes out to meet him. And they have a conversation. And Ahimelech sees David by himself, national hero. He's by himself and he, he, he's, he's curious. He says, David, what are you doing here? Why are you by yourself? David always had a group of people. National hero, everybody knows him. Why are you here? He says, I'm on a secret mission for the king, which is obviously a complete lie. But he's kind of got Ahimelech in this place because Ahimelech thinks like, you know, he's on the inside now. You know what I mean? Like he's getting, he's getting the information that nobody else has. You know, he's going to be able to go back with the gossip. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, you're on a secret mission. Oh, secret mission for the king, you know. <laughs> and David says, have you got anything to eat? And he says, well, we've got the bread of the presence. This is bread that's consecrated to God. He says, I guess I can give you and your men that, but, but they have to be ceremonially clean because this bread is consecrated for the Lord and the priests are the ones who eat this who are clean ceremonially before God. And David says, oh yeah, me and my men, we're clean, we're fine, we've, we've stayed away from our wives, all this kind of stuff. We're ceremonially clean. You know, well, there's no us, there's no men in hiding, there's nobody else. You know, and it, you didn't have to leave early on a secret mission from the king because that's all made up. And he's, he's lying and he's taking these things from him. And, and him looks like, okay, well, you, you can have the bread of the presence, I guess. And then David asks the priest, again, the priest, do you have a spare spear or sword? So this is like the hub of peace, you know, in the kingdom here. This is where the priests live. Do you have a spare weapon? And the priest is like, you don't have any weapons? No, 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 we had to leave in a rush. I mean, we're in a big hurry. I didn't have time to grab food. I didn't, I didn't have time to get my weapons. I didn't, do you have anything? And listen to this. This is where, for me, the drama really begins to unfold. And you just picture this moment in your mind. I mean, this is, here it is. David says, do you have a sword? Ahimelech says, well, all we've got is the sword of Goliath. 
whom you killed. And the priest walks out with this massive weapon, the sword of Goliath, and he hands it to David. And David says, I'll take it. There's none like it. And there handed to David, here in this moment, I want us to see this, is the greatest symbol of God's faithfulness to David. Here David is on the run. He's trying to do it all on his own. He's pushed God away. God, I'm not turning to you. I'm not going to trust you. David says, I'm trusting myself. If I don't do this, it won't happen. And God is saying, David, don't you remember what it was like when you put your life on the line, but when you put it in my hands, when you faced an enemy that you could not defeat. David, do you remember what happened? Here's the sword. David, I delivered you. This is a great reminder. This is the icon of God's faithfulness to David. And truthfully, it's the icon of David's faithfulness to God. Because that moment with Goliath, David was not concerned about himself. That's obvious. He put himself out in harm's way. He said, I don't care about me. This is about God. This is about making a stand for my God and for his way of life. But David responds in this moment his way. He says, I'm going to do it my way. If I don't do this, it won't happen. And God is saying, David, do you remember what it was like when you were faithful to me? I was faithful to you. What a moment that was. But David didn't pay heed to the reminder. David said, I'm going to do it my way. It doesn't matter, God. It doesn't matter, Lord. David doesn't listen. He says, I'm going to keep doing things my way. I'm going to do it on my own. It winds up that the priests there in Nob after David leaves, Saul comes in behind him and finds out that they aided David. They helped him. They didn't know. David lied to them. They had no clue what they were doing. They thought they were helping the king. But because of David's choices, Saul kills all of the priests at Nob. And David now, for the rest of his life, must live with the consequences of doing things his way. And in this moment, David is motivated just totally by selfishness. It's all about me. It's not about God anymore. It used to be about God. It used to do things God ways. Now I'm doing them my way. And it's making life worse and worse and worse. And when we stand in these moments where we don't know what to do, when we can't find our way back, when life just isn't going to be what we thought that it would be, there are two ways that you can respond. There are two ways that all of us can handle this. There is my way, and then there is God's way. And here we come now, 2 Samuel chapter number 15. I want to take you there, 2 Samuel chapter number 15. I'll take you to that first story because I think that this one is, it, it, it almost seems unbelievable. If you don't know that David has messed it up before, if you don't know that he has paid a heavy price for doing it his way, then this story becomes almost just like that fairy tale. It's not. This is God's word. It, it, David, these were real circumstances for David, real moments. And here he is, David again, in a moment where... He faces an enemy that he can't defeat. But David here in this moment, it, it, life is on the line again, except this time it's his own son, Absalom, has rebelled against him. And it's because of some choices David made in the past leading up to this. It's because of certainly choices that Absalom made in the past leading up to this moment. But David stands here in this moment against an enemy. Absalom is coming to the city of Jerusalem, David's home, at the head of an army. And David decides... We've got to flee. And so David now is on the run again. And here's what the scripture says. I want to read this with you. Second Samuel chapter 15, verse 24. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with the Levites, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. The ark is the, the symbol of God's presence with his people. And they set the ark of God down until the people had passed out of the city. And then the king said to Zadok, 
carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. And this is the part I really want us to get. He says, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. Zadok has come with the ark of God. When Israel took the ark of God with them out into battle before, it was really the assurance that God would bring them victory. It was the symbol of God's presence that God is with us. And Zadok brings the ark. And he says, we're going to bring this with us. David says, no, put it back into the city. And Zadok's going, what are you talking about? We have to take this with us. This is the symbol of God being with us. This is his presence. We've got to go with this. This will assure us victory. And David says, I have tried it my way before. He said, I have tried to make it happen before. I have stood in these circumstances that I don't understand and that I, I, I can't figure out why it's happening this way. I've been in those moments. And David says, I'm not doing it that way anymore. I'm not going to try to force anything. He says, let God do to me what seems good to him. And in this moment, David responds God's ways. And he decides, I've tried the whole if I don't, it won't mentality. And he says, in this moment, if God doesn't, I can't. David realizes, man, it's not about my efforts. It's not about me getting back. It's not me getting revenge or vengeance or making it even or making life fair. It's about doing things God's way. And David realizes, I have got to give up control. I've got to give my life to the Lord. Let him do to me what seems good to him. I put my life into the hands of God tried it my way, not doing it anymore. At this moment in life, David is motivated by selflessness. It's not about me, David says. It's about God. It's about doing things God's way. There are man's ways and God's ways, my way and his way. This morning, when we stand at those very difficult moments of life where it's just not going to turn out how we pictured it would, Life's not going to look like what we thought it should or would or could or any of those things. When the marriage is unraveling, when the dreams are fading, what will you do? How will you respond this morning? You might be in one of those very difficult places in life and your heart is just, just breaking under the weight of the pain and the emotion and the hurt of these moments and you're going, but, but you don't understand. If, if I don't do this, if I don't get back to them, if I don't make it even, you don't know what, what's happening, the choices they've made or maybe it's choices you made and you're so down on yourself and you're so depressed this morning and it's so difficult and you're just going, I can't find my way back because I don't even know where I'm at today and life looks nothing like I thought that it would. Put your life into the hands of God this morning. Take your your life, take your hopes, your dreams, and the broken ones too, and put them into the hands of a God who can take care of you. Because this morning, what I want us to see is that there's my way and God's way. That when it comes time to respond to difficult situations like this, that we have to make a choice. And doing it our way is really going to make things a lot worse in the long run. It's going to make painful situations more painful and more difficult. Are you here this morning? I want to close with this thought from Luke chapter 22, verse number 42. At this very place where David said, let him do to me what seems good to him. Hundreds of years later, in the very same spot, just out the city 
just outside the city of Jerusalem. Jesus, our Savior, ultimate example. Jesus, our ultimate example in life. We can learn lessons from David's life this morning, we have. But Jesus, he is our ultimate example. For us as followers of Christ as Christians, I'm trying to be like Jesus. Jesus here, deep into the late hours of the night, kneels down in a place we know as the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus prays the famous prayer, the words that echo the principle from David's. You hear it again. Jesus says, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. God, not what I want, but what you want. Oh, but, but I've got to get back. But I, if you don't understand, if I don't, it won't know. Give it over to the Lord this morning. Give your life into the hands of a God who can deliver you from the impossible. Would you bow your heads this morning? Let's pray.